Amen. Definitely proud of our church and how our heart is, as, as Bren said, to bring healing to a broken world. And when we see what's going on in the world around us and whatever avenues we can bring healing, that we take those initiatives and we take those steps. And Tim, if you could bring up our lights this morning. Thank you, Lex. But I want to really preach a word and, and carry from what Bren was sharing is in the world where we're living at, if you're taking notes, write this down. We need to find the blessing in our burdens. Anybody ever been there before? That, in other words, finding the silver lining in the situation, that we see the negativity, we see the hurt, we see the heartache, we see the pain in our world from everything from COVID to injustice. We see record un unemployment. Uh, moms, you are superheroes as you've been homeschooling your kids and raising uh, your kids and teaching your kids on a whole nother level. But there's power, and it's really seeing things through the lens of the gospel when we can find the blessing in your burden. And I want to show you this morning that there's duality in this of our identity in Christ, as well as there is also um, uh, the paradox to it of how God uses burdens to bring blessings. Has anyone seen God use your burdens to bring about blessings in your life? I want to really teach through 1 Peter, and I want to go through it and encourage you to read through uh, the book of Peter as we're in uh, this series called Essential. And to define essential, it means what is absolutely necessary. That we as a church, we as families, and as God's people, as followers of Jesus, is that we want to grab hold of what is absolutely necessary in our faith in order to execute, to walk it out, to be who Christ called us to be, to walk the second mile as we talked last week. The first mile is a mandated mile, but it's that second mile where we see the miraculous take place. It's going the second mile, just like those of you showing up to the march who might have different opinions or thoughts, but you, we went to support those that were hurting. We went to support and be healing. And so as we're on this journey together, it's always in the context of family, as Bryn said that we are a family and family always sticks together. Family fights at a deeper level. And I want you to know that as you're a part of this church, you are a part of family and we work and we operate together as family. I wanna give you the context of really what 1 Peter is all, is all about. Kenny, if you put this up, 1 Peter 5.12, it talks about having the courage to stand firm. Having the courage to stand firm, look what it says. It says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. Here it is right here. My purpose in writing is to encourage, everyone say encourage, encourage. is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Look what it says. Stand firm in this grace. We're in an hour, and I believe 1 Peter speaks so much to the hour, the season we're in as, as a body, as a church, in the world, that we've got to stand firm in the grace of God, that it's only by the grace of God we can be empowered to walk through uh, seasons um, that maybe we feel persecuted, or walk through seasons of, of grief, or walk through seasons of what Peter's going to talk about, various trials, or even in 1 Peter 5, talks about fiery trials, that there's a level of grieving, there's a level of trial that is believers of burden that we experience. That when we walk through moments of pain, it's only by standing firm in the grace of God can we uh, walk through it and not let it 
uh, have almost be like a, a tsunami coming over us and taking us down and, and washing over us and putting um, depression in us and oppression in us, making us lose sight of our hope that's on the horizon. So when we stand firm in this grace, we can take courage. I love what encourages, just like I shared, is that when we encourage someone, we are giving courage to other people. And now more than ever, do we need to be encouraging one another? Sabrina and Lex, I think about your baby that's on the way here in a few weeks and seeing the moms that have come around you to encourage you. I, see, I think so much maybe those that are struggling in their job or have lost a job or are on unemployment, that there's those in the body that have gone around to encourage one another, that we're going to make we're going to get through this together, that you're not alone. I think about those in this church that have reached out to those who haven't been back to the service but are watching online, checking in on people and making sure that they're okay because the enemy always works when he can isolate you. And as a pastor, it's tough to see people isolated because of a virus or because of everything going on. And so we don't want, as we've been talking about, we don't even want to get the enemy a foothold that we as a church want to be intentional and ahead and, and riding the wave that's coming, not being taken over by it. And in order to do, to do that, we have to stand firm. And this morning, my heart is, I wrote this down, is that, that this courage would put steel in your spine and courage in your soul. That as we take courage, it's going to put that backbone in you that you can overcome what's coming and knocking at your door. We're going to see through Peter, and I love Peter because he's so relatable. You see so many people in the Bible that many times you compare your life to theirs and you're like, they are way too perfect. I cannot, I can't emulate that. I think about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she got word that she was gonna have a baby in her village and her town and everyone will think it was conceived out of wedlock and she's a young 14-year-old girl. Uh, the scripture says that when this word came, she went and she sang a song of worship. I don't know about you, but many times I would not react like Mary where I would sing a song of worship when that kind of news would come. But what I love about Peter and why he's so relatable is it, on his best day, he's the rock the church will be built on. And then on his worst day, he is labeled as Satan, as Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. So Peter is like us where he take, takes two, two steps forward and then he takes a step back. He takes one step forward and then he goes lateral that he is a picture of you and I, of how God does. And if you go to the next slide, here's what you're gonna see through the life of Peter, is God does perfect work through imperfect people. This is the hope that we have, that there is inexhaustible mercy and grace available to you and I, where God can do work through imperfect people. And I think we can get so much out of work where we're constantly striving to be perfect, to do everything right, but we see throughout the scripture that God does perfect work through imperfect people. And this should give us hope this morning that God is working and that he's moving. I want to unpack this passage of scripture. It, it starts off where it, in 1 Peter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it goes to say that there was this dispersion because of persecution where those in Galatia and Asia and, and Pontius and all were dispersed because of this persecution. And here's what it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, there's several things I want to pull out of this scripture. One is where you see the words elect and exiles. 
Other translations will say those that are chosen and those that are exiles. So right off the bat, Peter is, is really speaking to the identity of the church, of who we are. And the two biggest questions I always love to find in Scripture is the two biggest questions of our life, and then everything else begins to make sense, are these two questions, is who is God and who am I? And so right off the bat, Peter addresses the who is God and who am I? We see the who am I, that we are chosen, yet we are exiles. The blessing is in being chosen, but the burden is that we're to live in exiles in this world, that we're to live as foreigners, as sojourners. So the blessing's in the elect, the blessing's in the chosen, but the burden is in the exile. So that's who we are. Then we see who God is, that he goes to say, we see the Trinity at work, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And in this of God saying who he is, is what we begin to see played out. And this speaks to really the first two script, the first two messages on unity and on what unity is not, is wherever you see a work of unity, that's where you can tell that God is present and God is there. Because the enemy works in disunity. The enemy works in bringing those in disunity and agreement together. But the Spirit of God, the Trinity, is the picture of how we're to work in unity together. That there was three person, there was uh, three persons, and how they all work together, never in conflict, but always in harmony and always in unity. And that's what the picture we see Peter beginning to bring out. So we see our identity, and we also see uh, that how in the work of the Trinity that this is the precedent, the pattern, and the prototype of the of the church that this is the model we're to follow to be in unity with one another. What I love about scripture is, and what we see going on in the world with all the firestorms and everything from politics to uh, different groups and movements having their agendas, we follow one agenda, and that's the agenda of the gospel. Somebody say amen. That that's where we're supposed to align ourselves to. And I'm telling you, it's hard because we live in a world where the media and, and culture uses something known as the strategy of tension, where it's constantly putting us in a place of tension to get us to click, to get us to like, to get us to buy, that they, they're feeding on our emotions, they're feeding on our likes, they're feeding on our desires, and it pulls us away from the main thing, which is who we are as believers. And we have to make sure that Jesus is always central in the middle of everything we see going on in the world. That's why there's so much disunity is because the enemy is good at what he does. He's done it for thousands of years to bring such thick, deep, um, well-done disunity to get people pitted against each other to get you to go in this group and to take this label and then those labels and those groups fight against each other and, and, and carry tension with one another. But the gospel goes so much deeper and so much bigger than that. And that's what we what we read even in, in the injustice we're seeing several weeks ago, that we want to choose the third option. And we want, don't want to choose the first option and the second option the world always shows, but there is a third option and there is a better way. And so Peter begins to unpack these things. I love what it says, where it says, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of blood. How many of you know it's only through the blood of Jesus that we are saved? It's only through the blood of Jesus we are covered. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we are protected. So we, we begin to see Peter bring in the, the purpose and the power that's in the blood of Jesus. And if I can encourage you as your pastor that every morning when you wake up, when you start your day, you better begin by pleading the blood of Jesus over your life. That that's the power that we have. 
you know, I think about exile. What does exile mean? That is we're living as foreigners in this world. Exile means banishment, far away, eviction, uprooting, separ uh, separation, ostracism. And so when you hear kind of those words, they have a bite to them. And it's tough to imagine of, okay, pastor, how do we live in a world where we know we're chosen by God, but we're called to be exiles in it? You know, one thing I've noticed is the more I fall in love with Jesus, the closer I grow in my relationship with Jesus, the less I feel comfortable in the world around me. The less things just begin not to make sense because they don't look like Jesus. They don't look like the word of God. Now, we have a mission. We have one mission, one enemy, as we talked about. Our mission is to go and bring healing to the brokenness around us. But we got to make sure that we're bringing our brokenness and allowing the spirit of God to heal it. Because we can't go be a conduit of healing until we're healed. We can't go respond in love if we're angry over something. It's just like we can't say we love God yet hate our neighbor. It doesn't work. It's the duality of our relationship with God. I love this. God blessed you and the world burdens you. God loved you and the world doesn't accept you. That's what it means to be chosen but be in exile. And this is really uh, the exile and, and being chosen is, is the experience of every Christian from the beginning of time. It's what you read in the Bible. Is It's how do I live as a foreigner? How do I, I love the world but not be of the world? It's tough. It's not easy. And that's why Jesus says in order to do that, you have to go the second mile. That there, you, you have to begin to pick up the way that the kingdom of God is ran, how he works, how he does things. It's just like this too, a, a picture of the world. As many people want heaven, but they don't want Jesus. They want the idea of heaven and everything heaven is and everything heaven has to offer, but then there's only one way to get to heaven and that's through Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. And so the world loves the idea of what this peace and this harmony can be, but in order to really get to that, you have to go through the blood of Jesus and through the cross. And that's the part that gets left out in so many conversations is what is this way to really bring true peace? And it's only through Jesus. I like what it says too, again, just pulling things out of what we see in the scripture. It says, for the obedience to Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. One thing I've come to find in my life is when you choose to be obedient to Jesus, he will give you extra grace and multiply it to you in order to do it. He will empower you to be obedient when your heart is to do the right thing, when your heart is to be obedient. When you're walking this out, as it says, it's, it's, the grace is for your obedience to Jesus Christ. This is the power that we have and this is the joy we have because being obedient is not easy. Talk to your kids and ask them, is being obedient easy? They will say no. Being obedient is a challenge, but when you see that there is a blessing on the other side of your obedience and know that you will see the heart of God revealed in your obedience, that's where God can do some of his best work. Kenny, if you put our quote up on what grace is, and I want you to see grace in this context, I love this, that what is this grace being multiplied? Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in the life of the Christian who is striving to obey God. That this is the grace we want in our life. It is the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed 
in the life of the believer, the life of the Christian, for those who are striving to obey God. Now, I believe everyone in here, your heart is to obey God. Raise your hand if it is. If your heart is to obey God, then there is grace available to you that God wants to unleash in and through your life so that you can walk this obedience out, so that you can walk the second mile. You know, I think many times as well of what we see in the world and what we see of being exiles, but yet knowing we're chosen, is that many times we focus on our public perception versus our private discipline. That we've, we focus more on what we're posting and liking, yet what we're doing behind the scenes and the conversations and the hearts and the attitudes. But we'll post and like everything just right. But what's going on behind the scenes would grieve the heart of God. So I think in, in, in this world of being exiles, it's not being duped that if I just say and look and play the part, but what's in me is not good and what in me is, is disordered, that that's the place that God wants to get to in our lives. Because we know how to hide things, we know how to filter things, and we can't allow that way of thinking to come into our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So those who seek obedience are promised extra grace and extra peace. So be encouraged as you're seeking the heart and the will of God that you are promised extra peace and extra grace, that it would be multiplied to you. Look at uh, verse three, that uh, really all blessings come from God. Kenny, if you put up uh, our next scripture, I want you to see this. It goes on to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. What I'm about to read should get you excited because this is how our faith is defined. This is what you signed up for when you said, I wanna follow Jesus with my life. It's saying there is great mercy and he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How many of you know that when we have a living hope, that heaven doesn't start when you die. Heaven starts when you first decide to say, I wanna follow Jesus. That your journey, your process, your path began. And I love that it says a living hope because in this life we have hope, but when we die, hope doesn't leave us. It is a living, eternal hope that you and I have. This is good news. It says it's living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is, verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, and here's where it should, joy should begin to well up in you. When you see the mercy, you see the hope, you see the power of God available to you, that it says in these things you should rejoice, that there should be joy flowing out of you because of the inheritance you've been given as a follower of Jesus. It says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When you're being grieved by various trials, you have to remind yourself the blessings that are available in the middle of the burden. If you noticed everything that was just listed, and I want to say it again, he listed great mercy. He listed the power that comes in being born again. When there's great mercy, there is, it's inexhaustible mercy. When you read how Jesus handled and dealt, it wasn't just one chance or two chances. He gives us chance after chance after chance. And by us being chosen, Think about the confidence that that should give you. I think about back here on the ZCA playground as a kid. 
now when you sign up for uh, when you're, everyone's playing kickball and everybody lines up and you pick teams and then it's your time to be chosen. Did anyone that, that just terrify you when you had to line up and be chosen as a kid? Because what would happen, who would get picked first? Usually the fastest, the most athletic, and then it would begin working their way down the line. And there's nothing worse when it's down to the last two people and you're like, let me be somewhat better than that last person that's going to get picked. Let me be chosen and not be last pick. And there's no worse feeling when you're the last to be picked. And you're like, why even play? And you have no confidence going into what you're about to do. And so knowing that you are chosen by God, that it's not based off your skill, it's not based off how good you are, it's not based off how well you can perform, knowing that you are chosen as a free gift because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross, the resurrection, this great mercy, you should have great confidence that I am chosen by God. And being chosen by God, I can walk in courage, I can walk in confidence, that I can be as a exile because I'm not pleasing man, I am pleasing God. And when you please God, he will take care of you. When you obey God, he will multiply grace and mercy and peace and every fruit of the spirit in your life. And you will never lack for anything because you are pleasing him. So there's great mercy. Number two, it's being born again. When you're born again, your nature changes. That's the power of being born again is that your deepest part of who you are begins to change. And I was thinking what, of the many ways that we see someone changed and born again, it's that you're given new desires. You're given new desires. I love when someone first begins to follow Jesus, especially a man. Most times you never see a man sing, you never see a man jump, you never see a man lift their hands, but there's something about a joy that comes over when you choose to follow Jesus. Their nature begins to change. They're singing. They're lifting their hands. They're jumping that they're saying, I actually want to go apologize to that person and ask for their forgiveness, that the fruits of the Spirit begin to come out, not maybe the fleshly nature that was present there. So you begin to see when you're born again, the desires begin to change. Number three, again, I said we have a living hope that we see in this world that it's not about just food and shelter and the, the earthly provisions, that we see everyone getting every amount of toilet paper they can get, storing up all the food they can get. But here's the sad part of it all, is that if you don't have hope, and we've seen this now that this pandemic has gone on, Look at the suicide rates. Look at people just hurting themselves, the relationships hurting because they don't have hope. You can have all the food and water and toilet paper you need, but if you don't have hope, the enemy will come in, bring depression into your life, make you feel worthless, make you forget that you're chosen. And so we have to know that we have a living hope. And hope is simply something, it's an anchor to the soul, but it's something much bigger than anything else in our life. That's why when we say our hope is not in a, in a better uh, America per se, we work and we do everything we can, but we have to understand we live in a broken and fallen world, and that will always be the nature as a broken, fallen world. We go and bring peace and healing as much as we can, but ultimately our hope is something that is bigger than who we are, bigger than America, bigger than the world around us, and so we have this living hope. Secondly, we, or thirdly, fourthly, whatever it is, we see that we are to live by God's power. We're to live by God's power, that we have gifts, that we have fruit, that we can begin to walk out. Next, we see that we are to rejoice. That's why I love worship. It's because it's not a time just to come and read words on a screen or sing songs, but we are rejoicing 
and the hope and the resurrection and the inheritance and that, and that which we have. And it begins to stir up in us who we are. It begins to remind us that it's okay that I'm not fitting in this world because I'm called to be an exile. I'm called to renew my thinking and renew who I am. So there has to be this rejoicing that's uh, evident in our lives. Lastly, we see this, and this should give us great hope. First Peter 1, 6 through 9, we see that God's blessings outweigh the world's burdens. Aren't you thankful that we will always, there will always be blessings and there will always be burdens, but in the end, the blessing will always outweigh the burden of what you're going through. We see this revealed in Scripture. Look what it says, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If we just take this scripture right here and we look at the world, there's various trials. And I shared this when we were talking about Daniel when we were online. But there's this term that psychologists would use as complex grief. When it's one thing that happens after another on top of each other, and you just feel like you don't even have time to process everything that you're walking through, everything you're experiencing, and then you're trying to help somebody else and what they're walking through, and it's just piled on top of each other, and it becomes a various trial. And because of these various trials, multiple trials, you begin to grieve. You begin, grieving looks different. God grieved when we, we see in scripture, so grieving is a part of our experience as humans, yes, but also as Christians, it's okay to grieve. And so in grieving, you see that uh, people grieve different. People grieve angry. People grieve frustrated. People grieve very sad. People grieve um, in, in trying to reminisce maybe in the good things that happen. And so grieving looks different for everyone. But the story and what we need to see here is when you experience trial after trial after trial, grief will come into, into play. And see, the beauty of it is because that's where the burden we begin to see is how do we find the blessing in the middle of our various trials and in the middle of our grief? Well, God gives us, this is the beauty of being a Christian, and here it is, is that as believers, when we take our grief and when we take our trials and we bring them to Jesus and we process them through the word of God and we process them through, through the, the worldview we see in the Bible, that God can actually bring a blessing out of our grief and out of our trial. Think about it this way. Have you seen someone almost go through hell or literally go through hell, go through something so difficult, something so hard, but there was something in the middle of it of how they walked through it, it inspired you. It's like if you say this sometimes when you see someone else, if I would have walked through that, it would have knocked me out. It would have killed me. There's no way I could have done it. And so when you see somebody else walk through something, what does it do? It gives you hope. You see that they have something so much deeper that I'm not experiencing or that maybe I haven't seen. And so we have to see that there is, uh, as it goes on to say in verse 7, that why do we have these various trials and why do we deal with this grief? Look what it says. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold. In order to go through grief and trial, the gold standard is your faith. Think about how we base everything on the gold standard. Well, the gold standard in the kingdom of God is your faith. That's what the enemy wants to steal. You know, I think about so many parents that are coming in for tours and we're talking with them and hearing their experience 
of homeschooling, hearing their experience. Uh, Kathy, we would, we would hear overall that they're afraid of the fear that their kids are going to begin to experience because of seeing everyone in masks, seeing everything on the news, that there's this fear that's being pushed into the lives of our children. And so they're looking for somewhere that can give them faith. And so the world's response is always fear, fear, fear. Fear gets control of people. Fear gets people moving in a way like never before. But when you begin to confront the fear and begin to see that in these various trials that we're all experiencing, if my faith can be refined in the middle of it, if it can come out more precious and refined than gold, then it can be a blessing for my life. I'm telling you, this is the secret of the saints, and this is the secret of our life, is we have to allow the trial. And I've stopped saying this, that I'm praying that I can get out of a bad season into a good season. It really is not how it works. It's really, you're, it's, it's synonymously happening. It's, there's duality in it, that you're going through a bad season over here, but then there's something great happening over here. And I think we get so caught up, and if, if I can just close my eyes and get through this, then everything will be better. I think we can agree that that's not how it works. But it's, it's taking heart in the middle of the storm and getting faith through the middle of the storm, rejoicing in the mercy and the inheritance and God's power that it would stir and well up in you. So it says that it, it's tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And here we see it again. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Now I want to invite the team up. But when we see this joy that's inexpressible, there should be this experience you begin to see as you begin to step out, as you begin to take risk. And how I've always tried to live my life is you prepare accordingly, but then you leave some room for the trust of God. You, you trust in God's sovereignty. You trust in God's plan. That yes, we prepare and we sanitize and we put masks on. We do everything we know we need to do. But then you have to leave some, some space for faith in God. That he knows the big picture. He's got you. He's with you. He's protecting you. And so when we see that this, this inexpressible joy that we should be able to experience, it makes sense of how we worship. That we just don't worship with words or just sing. But when there's inexpressible joy, that's why we clap. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we jump. That's why we shout. Because there's a joy that can be experienced that you can't describe, that words don't have enough to say. I think about the first time I held both my babies and the inexpressible joy that you feel in that. That words can't describe what you're feeling. You're just so overwhelmed with love. And, and even seeing everything that goes into the labor and the pregnancy, that it's so much pain, but praise God for an epidural, there's so much pain <laughs> taking place, but there's so much blessing that's coming out of that pain. And I'm telling you, God's blessing will outweigh the burden if you take it and you process it with him, if you don't respond in fear, but you allow your faith to grow, that you can rejoice in this. And it says, in the end, it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Being chosen, yet being in exile, is that God wants to use the various trials. He even says in 1 Peter 5, the fiery trials, that there's trials where it feels like hell is singeing your life, that it's trying everything it can to take you out, to knock you out. 
and to get you in a place of oppression, depression, crisis, problem on problem, that your life just constantly feels like you're never moving forward. It's constantly an avalanche. But if you will take this week, take your burdens, bring them to God, he will bring blessings out of them. We see in this that we need to understand our life is like a kiln. And life is a kiln. It's constantly burning all the anger. It's burning the, the depression. It's burning wrong thinking. It's burning self-righteousness. It's burning anything that doesn't look like Jesus. And when you allow that to burn, blessing comes out of it because in the end, you're going to look more like who he is. And that's the purpose of it, is to be refined, that we want to be refined by fire, that we not allow the various trials and the grief to keep us bound and to keep us down, but that we keep moving forward, that this is the hope and the joy that we have. As you go on to read it, or as we just read it, it mentions glory. That glory is defined would be something heavy or something weighty. And when you want to experience the glory of God, it's something that's heavy and it's something that is weighty. And I'm telling you, burdens can be heavy and weighty, but the glory of God is so much heavier. It's nothing that necessarily you and I can do. It is just our response. Just like being chosen, it's our response to then go and step forward. He already paid the price through the blood of Jesus, through the cross that you and I are chosen, but it is our response now to step forward. And I pray that you'll step forward in your burdens and not shrink back, not grieve on your own, but step forward, bring them to God and allow him to bring blessing out of it. If you stand this morning, I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing and rejoice that we are being refined by fire. If you bow your head. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the inheritance we have that the enemy can't rob, that no man can touch, that no stock market, no housing market can affect. But we have this inheritance of great mercy. We have this inheritance of the power of God. We have this inheritance that is available to us. We receive everything that Jesus died for, everything the spirit of Jesus was given to us for. We want in our lives we know we are chosen, yet we are to live as foreigners. Help us live in that space. Because in that, in that obedience, you will give us great grace. You will multiply peace to us that it can be all fire around us, but in us it can be well with our soul. So God, we thank you that as we declare this this morning, that you would stir up faith, that we would bring our burdens to you, and as we bring them to you, you would bring blessings out of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.